Hey, what is up, guys? Today's episode is brought to you by the incredible sponsors of the program, ChemicalFreeBody.com. If health and wellness is a priority for you, then check out the incredible products over at ChemicalFreeBody. Plant-based nutritional supplements from Super Greens, my favorite, with all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients, and micronutrients in just one single scoop. Toss it in your glass of water, your shake, your smoothie, however you want to do it. They also have other incredible products, gut detoxers, anti-inflammatories, immune boosters, and so much more. ChemicalFreeBody.com and check out that promo code, it's me, all one word, it's me for discounts at your checkout. And look, we have so many different insurance policies in our life. And if the last couple years has taught you anything, it taught me that storable food needs to be on that list. Prepare with itsme.com, the incredible products over at My Patriot Supply. They have four-week supply of food, three-month supply, all products with up to a 25-year shelf life. Have the peace of mind, ladies and gentlemen, of having storable food and have that supply on deck. It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. And uh, if you have, you know, shaving needs like nice chrome domes like me, SkullShaver.com is a whole new concept in face and head shaving. The products offered over there include men's head shavers, face shavers, hair clippers, and trimmers. And ladies, we haven't forgot about you with the butterfly kiss. And we also have a large selection of accessories to make your life that much more simple. All of the shavers come with uh, removable, washable blades made of premium Japanese stainless steel to ensure flawless results. It just makes it so much easier. You can get your shaving done anytime, anywhere, in or out of the shower. It gets no better. Skullshaver.com, front slash discount, front slash it's me. All of the links to these incredible products will be in the description of this episode. So without further delay, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the show. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Hey, what is up, guys? Gals, gangsters? It is Jeffrey Wilson, and welcome to It's Me speaking to you, the 100th episode. We will be chatting with our boy Sam Tripoli here in just one moment, but just a kind of a brief background. I've taken a bit of an absence from this show for a while as I've been involved with other projects that many might be aware of. But the history of this particular podcast started several years ago. Um, it's kind of, when I did it, it was based after, you know, Joe Rogan, not numbers-wise by any stretch, but it was, it's, my tagline is it's a variety of guests discussing a variety of issues. That was kind of the premise of it, and it's been amazing. But, you know, it began when I, for lack of a better term, was kind of standing in my own way. Um, there's some things I wanted to do, but in my mind, I was listening to that voice saying that I couldn't necessarily do it. Like we all kind of, a lot of us have that voice um, that tells us we can't do something. So it's kind of, we start making decisions out of fear and not pursuing things that we really think we should. So, you know, it was, like I said, several years ago, I was kind of going through a bit of a breakup. Things were kind of changing. And it was over the course, I forget exactly what year it was, but I remember a few individuals just helped me flip the switch. And it might sound odd, but it was comedian Bill Burr. Uh, it was comedian Patrice O'Neill, specifically the Black Phillips show, but his comedy in general. And then a gentleman by the name of C.T. Fletcher, world record-breaking strongman. His videos were hugely, hugely motivational to me, helping me get out of my own way. Like I said, with the breakup, I was just in my own head too much. And I was, I was kind of wanting to kind of break out and do something. The monotony of the things I had been doing wasn't really working for me. So I was kind of looking for a change. But again, like I said, I had that voice in my mind saying I couldn't do this or couldn't do that. I produced a, a show here in St. Louis called The Hot Seat. 
a gentleman by the name of Mark Bland was the host. So it was kind of like a uh, kind of a debate show, if you will, pros and cons on certain issues. This happened to be one was on weed, whether you think weed should be legal or not, and discussing the Second Amendment was the other one. And, you know, looking back on it, I could have easily hosted that show. But again, I was just in my own head. And literally one day I just woke up and I basically said to myself, I could interview these people because we were thinking about doing more episodes of the hot seat. I'm like, I can do this. And again, once that flipped with switch, everything really changed just because I began to believe in myself. And so that's where It's Me Speaking to You came from. I uh, wanted to do a podcast and just talk to different people. You know, at that time, there was still a lot of podcasts, not near how many there are now. But I just wanted, like I said, model it after Joe Rogan. I just love talking to people, picking people's brains. So my first episode, you know, I was telling people I want to have on Pat Militich. I'm a huge MMA fan, obviously. And people, you know, projected their fear onto me. No, you'll never be able to do that. What do you think? You're Joe Rogan. And again, you can't allow people to project their stuff onto you and dictate your path. So a part of me starting to believe, I was like, well, you know, go fuck yourself. You know, you may not be able to do it, but this is what I want to do. So I hit up Pat. He was my first guest and I wound up and it was just off to the races. I wound up talking to so many incredible people, you know, movie stars, Jason London star of Days Confused, some of my childhood heroes growing up watching wrestling, Manny Fernandez, Kamala, the Ugandan giant, uh, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, uh, MMA people, Boss Rutan, uh, Michael Chavello, The Voice. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, uh, Bob Back. I mean, the, the list goes on. And then that grew into one day Pat hit me up and said, hey, Jeff, do you want to host this conspiracy show with me? And so that seed was planted. And that's been a few years. We're 160, I think, some episodes. We've talked to many, many people, incredible content. And uh, that also morphed into another show called Everything Combat. Was able to talk to Dan Gable, Eric Bischoff, George Foreman, and just many others. So that moment of belief, I think uh, Tony Robbins says that, is in the moment of belief where your destiny is formed. And that actually, I, I'm a testament to that because that day when I woke up and said, I can do it, which meant it's me speaking to you podcast, that ripple effect has led to so many opportunities. And it all began with the belief that I could do it. So again, ladies and gentlemen, don't let anybody dictate their path to you because they're afraid or they feel they can't do it. They try to say you can't do it. Fuck them and feed them beans. Live your dream and live it with passion, man. You can do absolutely anything you want. So I appreciate you listening to that little bit of a rant. I just wanted to give people a little historical perspective on where this show came from. This is the one that started it all for me. So I'm happy to, after quite a bit of a break, be up to episode 100. And I'm absolutely gracious and thankful for my friend Sam Tripoli, who's been a part of this incredible journey with me to come on and be a part of my 100th episode. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, peace and all them loves. Here is my conversation with the great and powerful Sam Tripoli. All right, gangsters. How's everybody doing? Welcome to the 100th episode of It's Me Speaking to You. Wow, it's been an interesting long road. Just coming back from a fairly lengthy break from doing the show. And as you heard in the intro, this is what started it all for me. And I'm so stoked to have this gentleman on, the 100th episode. He's turned out to be an amazing, amazing friend, even more incredible human being. We're going to get into what he's been up to, which is a whole shitload, including being a dad for the first time of two, of twins. I guess that's, wow, hands are full. Sam Tripoli, I love you, man. Thanks for joining me for episode 100. What you up Anytime, to? Anytime, brother. Thanks for having me on, Jeffrey. I'm super happy for you. Happy uh, 100 episodes is insanely hard. 
It's not easy. No clue how hard a hundred episodes is. So congratulations to you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, brother. And it's been a long road, and it's cool, man. That that pebble, if you will, which was dropped into the pond, has had an awesome ripple effect. So much has happened. So much has changed. Being able to interview and hang out, and you know, even open up for Sam Tripoli last what was that last August? Oh, you could do it again well, if if it happens in St. Louis the first weekend in December. Yeah, we will stay away from the politics, but of course, if that is, they don't lock us down. But you know, that's a whole other conversation. Brother, it's really cool, man. When I first got to meet you, I had already seen a lot of your comedy work. I've always wondered, you know, with comedians. Where does that start from you? Were you that class clown? Are you, or, you know, they always say like comedians are usually sad on the inside. They need the validation of laughs or so. Where, where do you fall in that? And where did you get started? You're from New York, right? I'm from upstate New York. Yeah. Uh, uh, Cortland. Uh, it's um, 607 for life, you know? And um, so I, I grew up in, I was born in Niagara Falls and then moved to Cortland at one years old. And you know, it's just like, you know, people ask me, when did you know you want to be a comic? I, the truth of the matter is I always knew I wanted to be a comic from the moment I knew I existed in the universe. And it sounds like so weird, That's but heavy. it's the That's truth. Heavy. I always wanted to make people laugh even before I knew that was a job and you could do that. And what that meant, I always wanted to be a stand-up comic. So when did you, I mean, have you always, it's kind of weird because people have said before, like, hey, Jeff, you're funny. But that's totally different than writing comedy. So when did that? When did you first start kind of structuring your your career as, as a stand up comic? Well, you know the truth is I was class clown in sixth grade and then class clown as a senior. And I, all I wanted to do was when I went, you know, my school was seventh through twelfth. So when I, I went there, all I wanted to do was be class clown. That that was my goal from day one in seventh grade to the day I graduated. <laughs> was I was going to get class clown. That's all I wanted to do. My grades suck. I was a C-plus student in high school, and I was barely – I was like a B-minus, C-plus in, in college. I just didn't care. I only went to college because I, I knew that, you know, my parents wanted me to go to college. That's the only reason I right. went to college. So I – um, so, and, you know, I went, to U, I went to UNLV in Vegas because – I, uh, well, a couple reasons. One, I thought would be a great place to start comedy. I was, you know, I grew growing up Rat Pack, hearing about the Rat Pack and all, you know, Vegas, Lounge Acts. I thought, oh man, there's got to be a lot of stand up there. And little did I know there wasn't when I got there. But I went to Vegas because a couple reasons. One, I thought there was a lot of stand up. Two, uh, Jerry Tarkanian was the, the coach, and I'm Armenian. So, they, and they were, <laughs> they, they'd won the year before. And I was like, dude, I got to go where the Armos are. And then three, my dad ran a psyop on me to get me to go to Vegas so he could buy a house so he could write off his taxes and fly out to Vegas to gamble all the time because at the time there was no Indian casinos anywhere. So, you know, now mm. you can just go to an Indian casino and gamble, but then you had to go either Atlanta City, which was in, in the crapper, or you go to Vegas. So that was, that was the con that my dad ran on me. So that's why I ended up going to Vegas. On the come up, though, I mean, everybody kind of has their favorites. You know what I mean? Did you model not necessarily your act, but, you know, your kind of brand of humor? Like, who were your influences coming up? That's a great question. I want to get back to the writing thing, too. You asked. I yes, yeah. I didn't answer that. But real quick on the writing, I've, I don't write jokes. I talk to myself all day. I am <laughs> a, a certified crazy person, and I talk to myself all day and which is great wearing masks around because no one can see me talking to myself but (laughs) i remember working at this hotel 
and the GM saw me and he's like, what is going on with you? I go, what? He goes, you're just screaming at nobody. I go, oh, I'm writing comedy for, <laughs> you know, for I got to do a set tonight. And it was the only way mm-hmm. I could keep my sanity. So I never write down jokes. I write down the, the, basically what I think the name of the premise of the joke yeah. is. And then I'll go to stage, go on stage and write it. And since we can't, we haven't had a lot of stage time, that's why I started this podcast called Broken Simulation was so that I could just talk about the bits to uh, run them off Johnny, my my co-host, and then I could go on stage and try them whenever I got booked on the road. So, you know, that's kind of how that is. I've never written a joke. I don't mm. say that with, like, pride. It's just because it probably would be a lot easier. You know, when, when, when we took all these months off and then we had to go back, I literally forgot all my jokes. Really? And I had to remember how, what was the setup, what went where. And so it took a little time. But now I'm back to straight murder. But it was interesting. Straight murder. Uh, the influences on me, I think the two biggest influences in my comedy were Richard Pryor and Bill Hicks. And I I, I tried to combine the two of them. Um, <clears throat> you know, I started in Vegas, man. And when we, you know, at the time, there were the, the local comedy clubs, which was Catch a Rising Star, the the Tropicana Comedy Stop, and, and then the Riviera. <clears throat> when I first started comedy, they wouldn't let me do stage. They wouldn't let any locals go up. Because at the time, they were flying out openers from vague from la because it was so close so we couldn't get up so we had to create our own comedy scene so what i ended up doing because you'd always hear like new york city comics get up like 90 times a day bro you gotta get up that much i'm like damn i gotta get up man so i started my own comedy show every night in a different bar every night there was a different show so i just run the show and then i would host it so I would get the most stage time, mm. and that's kind of where I learned, like, my style. Like, for the longest time, Vegas comedians were, like, it was started by Doug Stanhope. Mm. He was the first of the, the great Vegas comics. And then, then the next generation was me and Joe Coy. And then now there's, like, a really great comedy scene out there. Like, there's so many comedy clubs, and the local comics get up so much. So it's kind of crazy, but yeah, man. That's kind of the journey I went on. Well, and there's really no no shortcut, right? I mean, as when do you when would you say an average a comedian hits their stride? I've heard you and other comics talk about this. It's not like overnight, not even like a year. Like it takes a minute. Each each person's different. There are people who come out of the womb with like a, 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 a like a, a solid forty five. Like Nick Swartzen was funny at twenty, you know. Pablo Francisco came out of the womb with a, just a tight hour. There's just guys that, just, I mean, I'm watching that Comedy Store doc. I mean, like, Fr- Freddie Prince, man, was, like, blowing up at 20 years old. And when you see, like, he had old man vibe at 20 years old, man. Uh, so that was pretty incredible. So everybody's different. I would say the average comic, really, really good, is minimum 10 years. Minimum. I mean, it is like getting your doctrine. Yeah. Wow. Because you're learning mind tricks. Now, there are people you see it in early. Like, I always say this, like Taylor Tomlinson. Like, I knew she was going to be a star from day the first time I saw her perform. I knew she was going to be a star. And I I told her that because I, like, I met her for the first time. She was only 19 years old. So this is about six years ago. And, you know, when I first met her, I thought she was like, oh, this young chick who hates old guys. And she, you know, 
And I'm like, oh, man, she's got bad attitude. <laughs> but then I realized she was super shy. She was just really a shy person. Mm. And then, dude, I watched this 19-year-old little white girl walk up on stage and start doing old black man crowd work, dude. Just, like, <laughs> lighting this crowd up. And I was like, damn, dude. And from there on, when she got off stage, I go, you're the future. And she is, wow. like, she's, we've only seen the beginning of her blowing up. So, uh, you know, some people get it early. Now, she, now the thing about her is people don't realize she started doing comedy at, like, 12 or 13. She was doing yes. churches. So she had to work real clean. So, like, she's 25 or 26 now. So, like, she's 13 years in. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I uh, I literally, I don't know if I've told you this, I did comedy one time, like 17 or 18. It was a local news station was tr trying people out to be on the Jay Leno show. And, you know, at that time, I was, I mean, there's a lot of people I was into. That late 90s comedy stand-up was everywhere. That shit was on A&E all the time. And But I really like, anyway, I wrote. Well, that, that's what led to the, the implosion was that they were putting everybody on TV and not everybody deserved to be on TV. It was a flooded, flooded market. But yeah, so I went up. I wrote, I wrote everything out word by word. It was just crazy. And I, I whatever. Anyway, I went up and bombed. It just whatever. I, yeah, I bombed. But um, that's okay, dude. No, it was the first everybody one. Everybody you loved bombed a thousand million. And, and times. that's what I wound up realizing later on down the line from you and just other stand-up comics. But um, yeah, I just bombed. And then I just told myself, you know, I've. It happened more recently. Fucking however many years later, I was like, I got to do that again. I did at least has to do it one more time. I can't have the fear of bombing once just because I, I like to fucking talk and shoot the shit with people. And hopefully it's funny. But well, yeah, you know, you, you're doing all this amazing stuff. You're going to get a nice size crowd and those people want to come see you, you well, know, and that's that's the best way to do it, man. You know, I go on the road with one of my best friends, Eddie Bravo, and we do tinfoil hat. And, you know, I don't want to get in conspiracies, but, you know, it's like that's what we do, man. We just we and then we'll do Q&A for. 30 45 minutes at the end of the show and they get at all their their it's mostly me just setting eddie bravo up to just go and me having to yeah. corral him like i always say when me and eddie bravo are doing q a we're like siegfried and roy he's the he's the white tiger i'm the two gay guys and i'm just trying to corral <laughs> this dude into like just getting to where we gotta go but it's like fun to do man i love him i love it it's it's i remember the first time we did it man and uh the first time it hit where I'm like, okay, we're on to something was in Spokane, dude. And I remember, man, I'm on stage and I'm getting laughs and I'm like, oh man, I'm getting Burt Kreischer laughs. Like that's a different kind of laugh. Right. That a lot of times like really dark comics really want, I've seen dark comics go crazy trying to get, uh, I, you know, and I mean, and this is all a lot because Burt Kreischer's had one of the best sets I've ever seen, more mainstream comedy laughs, you know? Yeah. Burt Kreischer had one of the best sets I've ever seen in my life. I've seen three sets where they just stand out, where I'm like, okay, those are the best three ever. Jesselnick, um, man, he's got some pretty dark shit that people crack up at. Yeah, he's great. I love Jesselnick. I love him. The he's, I've known him. I remember going, hey, dude, it's going to take a little time for you to blow up, and that bam, before I knew he's huge. <laughs> and it's so funny because <clears throat> – we both had a set together in a, a showcase, and he crushed his. It was for Chelsea Handler's new talk show called Chelsea Lately. And I went up and did jokes about sleeping your way to the top right in front of her and the, and, and the uh, head of the studio. He married guy that she just fucked for her show. And nice. uh, the room was quiet, and I was just pounding because Chelsea was the first – friend i wouldn't say we were good friends we were more like acquaintances but the first person i knew that blew up and acted like she didn't know me mm. and like i didn't i i 
I didn't know how to handle that at that time. So I just decided to Kaiser so say everything and <laughs> family and burn down the village. <clears throat> how frequent is that, dude? Because some of those rises can be so meteoric where it's like you just said people you've known and come up with, like they just ghost you. And it's like, whoa, not you. It, it depends on the level that you're at, but it does happen. And I wouldn't say it's necessarily always uh, <clears throat> done viciously i think a lot of times people get super slammed dude like when it's popping it's popping yeah and you gotta hit by the while uh the the iron's hot so it's not always negative evil but it does happen and it, it when it first happens it hurt you know it hurts and then kind of you just realize that this is kind of sometimes what happens and you let people go and it is what it is man yeah you know, and i dude i'm too busy doing me to worry about it but when it happened the first time, it really bothered me. Really bothered me. Yeah. But most of the time, what happens, dude, is most of the time, is that these people blow up, and then they go and they, they hang out with these quote-unquote winners, and then they realize it's a shark tank, and everybody's yes. a shark. Yeah, man. So then what happens is they go back to their old friends that were their friends when they were nobodies, and I see it happen a lot. Yeah, there's there's nothing like I mean, not that I've been through it, but <clears throat> of course I've seen it. You know, nothing will humble you like fucking some Hollywood shit where you know you're, and anybody's expendable for fuck's sake. But what's been you know what's been your best gig? You know what I mean? Your you just killed the venue was the shit, and if you haven't done that yet, what is your your dream venue? Oh, that's a great. Well, you know, dude, I gotta be honest with you, man. I kind of did my special at the where I really wanted to play, which was the Viper Room. Yeah. I wanted to do my special at the Viper Room. I wish that special had gotten a little bit more love. I think it's because I put it on my YouTube channel and I was already on the you know the the Tech Lords Jihad list. Um, <laughs> so I don't think it got the love that it so deserved. But um, I think that that's a great question. I mean, you know, it's like when I was young, I wanted to play the big venues. What I would like to do is have Russell Peters let me play five minutes in front of one of his arena shows. I'm begging him to do it. But that's it. Like, really big doesn't mean anything to me, man. Like, I just, I would rather play, like, two, my goal right now is the Doug Stanhope model of 300 people in one market. So I could do it one night, move on to the next city, do it another night. Yeah, we saw him uh, when, we came, when he came here to St. Louis. We peeped him out. It was fucking hilarious. Well, you know, he just, he has zero fucks and he, right. but he's the nicest dude you'll ever meet. It's the weirdest, it's the weirdest thing. Cause on stage, he's absolutely a savage, but he's honest, right. but off stage, he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He's so nice. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, not to say everything you guys do is kind of an act, but I, you hear that often like, nah, dude, that's not, you know. Well, you know what it is, man, is the more raw and real you are on stage, the nicer you tend to be off stage. Cause you get your angst out. You know, I always say this, not all clean comics are assholes, but most asshole comics were clean. Really? Bill Cosby, perfect example. Great example. <laughs> but man, like, you know, it's like stand-up is like, the, the problem, I, I like to sit kids down and I always like to tell them, it's like, dude, the, and Paul Mooney said this to me. Paul Mooney said this, and I remember going, wow, okay, I'm going I'm to understand that. The, the best part of comedy is not the destination. The best part of comedy is the journey yeah. to the destination. Sure. 
And that's, so I mean, that could be said. This dancer, a, per, a trained dancer. I, I dated a lot of strippers, but I, I dated a trained dancer. And she said, when you start making money off your art, it changes you. It changes it. Now it becomes about money and less about the art. Mm. And that's very true. Uh, so, so when you're just, when you're super young and you're doing comedy or you're very new and you're just running and gunning and you're just doing stand up for the time for a couple drink tickets and maybe the bang somebody who enjoyed your show, like that <laughs> is the most fun. But at some point, everybody starts popping differently. And if you're not the one that pops, it could drive you a little crazy. But for me, dude, it's like, I got it knocked out of me very early. dude. I didn't realize I wasn't the cool kid very early. So <laughs> Like I, I dude, and like I tell people, I go, hey man, I'm gonna tell you something. It's gonna upset you, but it's the truth. And when you accept it, you'll go far. You're not one of the cool kids, and you see them just get angry. Mm. You're not one of the cool kids. I go, dude, I've known that since the year 2000. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like that's kind of how it is, man. Stand up's the best. When you destroy a room full of complete strangers, it's better than the best sex you'll ever have. There's nothing like it. And that's why comedians are such junkies, dude, because the adrenaline rush is so high. And then when you get off stage, it dumps so much. Yeah. Nothing worse than crushing your first show and then do it a second show and eating it. It is like, I've never done heroin, dude, but that's gotta be what like heroin withdrawal has to feel like when you're just boom. And you're just like, oh, I need another fix. Yeah. It's, I've, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I work with Pat Militich, former UFC champion, defended his belt I think, like five or six times. I'm like, bro, what is it like? 30,000 people, you're the fucking champ, you're the main event coming out. And he basically just said what you kind of, he's like, dude, you'll never, you'll never get high enough. You'll never, you know, it's just nothing you can really replicate again. But not to do be too dark about necessarily the road. I'm a huge professional wrestling fan. And through the years, you just hear how tough the road can be. Tell me some. I mean, how to balance that out, especially when you're even if you're not successful. If you're on tour, you're in. If you're not on a bus, you're in hotels all the time. You know, like I said, some hookers, yeah. and it I could mean, go sideways easy, and it has for a lot of guys. How do you talk well, about you know, balancing man, I all think that? There's also like a lot of um, belief that the road, the road isn't crazy. The road is lonely. You know, when you're young, the road is lonely. Like me at my age, I like to just go to sleep now. So the road is fine for me. Like right. I just sell my merch, go home and sleep. You know, like I, I don't mind it. But back when you're a young man and, you know, you're on the road, you're playing a gig. And like when you're a young headliner, usually what the comedy clubs will do is they'll put you with some local that is just the monster of the local scene. Like I remember I, I, I flew to Dallas and the, and the uh, manager at the time was this he picked me up at the airport he's like yeah man we got we got probably our best feature opening for you so uh we just want to see what you got i go why would you why, why would you do that why are you trying to set me and, and for a while there i felt i felt like i was bruce lee going to everybody's dojo and fighting their number one guy <laughs> yeah and that's how they would do and they would they would try to bury you, man. And like for the longest time, I would play comedy clubs, especially in Florida. And they, my feature I always describe as smooth black, like the smooth black comic that's yes. just like, just what just destroys everybody. Boom, kids be crazy, just bam. And then <laughs> I follow it with like I like, I forget the name of the guy. I think his name is Keon Cole. He's so freaking funny, and he had me following him, and I was like. It was like Friday followed by train spotting. It was just like such a weird dynamic. Yeah. And so now when I go on the road, because most people coming now are now to see me because of my show, 
I bring my own people because I, I, I bring like guys who are into conspiracy people and um, uh, into conspiracies and that people might know from the show. So yeah. like, yeah, it's it's crazy. Nothing's worse than bombing on the road. Nothing. The, the staff hates you because they're not because they didn't make any money. You know, you're just like nobody wants to hang out with you or talk. to Yeah. You. Lonely, and that's a that's a weird thing. I mean, the game has kind of changed in that. I mean, we've alluded to your shows. Obviously, anybody listening to this know you have. You hold know, on one second, dude. Hold hold on. Um, have Ryan help you put in the, the stroller. Okay. All right, go on, dude. Sorry. Yeah, how the game has changed. Like you know, we almost have a telephone or a TV studio. What as we walk around with our hand with cameras and stuff, we can produce shit out of our hand. You now, especially with podcasts, you can almost be your own marketer, your own advertiser, your own agent of sorts. Talk about, if you uh, don't mind, how the shows now have changed that, where you said now people aren't coming to see you just because of your stand-up, but they know you from Ten Foot Hat, they know you from Zero, they know you from Broken Simulation. Oh, it's, it's completely different, dude. It is a different thing, man. You know, uh, you know, Bill Burr put it back. When you're not famous, and I am not famous, but when you're not famous, okay, uh, every every show is an away game, and when you're famous, every show is a home game. Yeah, interesting way so, to put that. I've been playing home games a lot lately, and it's a lot more fun. People are always like, dude, I like it rough. I like I like a hard. Cry. Not me, dude. I've been playing Roadhouse gigs forever. I, I felt like Patrick Swayze going <laughs> left boot for 20 years. So I I like it when people know and they know the references. And you know what the most interesting thing about Tim Fall Hat fans? And always been my fans, whether it's been Naughty Show, Comedy hmm. Chaos, or Tim Fall Hat, is like they they're open minded to all comedy. Like I just get the guys who are all guys and girls that are all like open to all comedy. They just want you to be great at it, whatever that is. Right, right. That's my crowd. That's my crowd. So and what's cool about that is a, a podcast crowd is like you don't have to be funny twenty four seven. Like there was a lot of people who were complaining that Dave Chappelle's set on Saturday Night Live didn't have a lot of laughs because he was just taking his time, which I have no problems with at all. I, I think pop comedy has ruined stand up where everything's gotta be a laugh every two seconds. And I don't think you can get in depth on that stuff. I don't right. think you can get really deep with pop comedy. It's pop comedy is hacky takes, in my opinion, on real life events. You know, and to get real deep on stuff, sometimes you don't need a laugh. You're setting it up. You're explaining stuff. So it's it. And so at the end of this, I just answer questions for ten minutes, and there yeah. won't be a big laugh. But that's their favorite part. Right, right. I mean, when I did the show with you here in St. Louis, yeah, that was. I mean, the little Q and A. I mean, obviously they weren't really asking me shit, but they, it doesn't have to be about you know being the chuckle hut at every fucking second of the day. Like you said, you carved out a niche audience where they do want to. Hear, that's kind of what they, they're here to see. You talk shit, lizard people, and then maybe maybe answer some serious questions, but. um yeah, so, I mean, obviously, you know, it's the comedy game has changed, especially being able to get up, like you said, being able to go on road like you normally would. So you've created several different podcasts, and you, know, you and I have had conversations off air. We both have been doing the conspiracy stuff for quite a while. So for me, I'm really kind of a balanced guy, yin-yang. You know, I, I can't – I do my best to stay in the light while just, like, going in the dark all the time. So shows like this or just other lighthearted stuff I do – You I, got to, dude. You I don't want to be a uh, black pill cool guy, I call it. Yeah. Black pill cool guy. <laughs> Yeah. Who comes up is like, they do that all the time. 
who come out. Are you still there? You froze for a second. Yeah, you man. know, Black Black Pill Cool Guy comes up, and it's like, NWO, dude, it's the end. They're just going to do and they have no solutions. Right. Like, I, I can't live in that world. No. It's like, if you're going to tell me something going on, I, I want to hear a solution to it, or just don't even tell me. I don't need to know. I, right. Like, everyone's right. like, dude, you hear about the asteroid? I go, where's it going to hit? If you don't know where it's going to hit, don't tell me about it, because there's nothing I can do about it. Right. Yeah. Well, and like you said, Black like Pill cool guy, Black <laughs> Pill cool guy. It's an old, it's Just a continuation. It's Black Pill cool guy. There needs to be some animation to that. But no, like each thing, it's morphed into other things. So, like you said, your solution to to the tinfoil hatters to some degrees. Now you've got broken simulation. You've got zero. Talk about how you how you've chosen to balance that out with some shows that kind of cover different stuff. Yeah, man. You know, so the truth of the matter is, it's like. You know, I think, you know, even though it's art, you have to kind of take the business standpoint of the customer's always right. So so I would do episodes on things I really like, which is like spirituality, and they just wouldn't get numbers. People just not want to listen to them. And right. I'm like, okay, man, I can't. You know, I've done this before where I say I don't listen to the audience. I'm going to do my own thing. And then there's five people in the crowd. So it's like you got to kind of balance this thing, right? Where yeah. it's like these people are nice enough to, to listen to your show because there's a million podcasts. Someone said there's like six million podcasts, exactly. right? So in the world. So it's like if they're going to spend time listening to your podcast, you got to show them a little love, right? So uh, I, I said, you know what? And then I got hit up by this website called Rockfin. And they're like, please do some, you know, exclusive content here. And I'm like, okay, man, they want me to do something with them. I really want to do a spiritual podcast. I'm going to do it on there. And so I came up with the name Zero because that that's very – I think Zero means no ego, getting down to no ego. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. And I also wanted to do it because, you know, you go zero to hero. And <laughs> that's a big part of the podcast as well is, like, helping people – so my, my cousin almost got murdered like a year and a half ago, two years, right? She almost got murdered because uh, some bo man she was dating was abusive and he came, came over to kill her. And luckily the n neighbor heard, heard and called the cops and they arrested him. Now he's doing like 15 years, right? Um, but I was trying to talk to her about the whole situation and just nobody... Talk, you know, nobody was telling her about controlling your own destiny. And I thought about how many people are out there that don't know about, you know, manifesting your own destiny. And I'm like, you know, I need a podcast that talks to people about manifesting, like manifesting your destiny. So you get people like who, who've been to jail and now their life is different or someone whose career wasn't going anywhere. And they, you know, they just went to the internet and changed it. Like to me, that that's what I want to hear about. And that's what I think people need to hear about. Because, you know, I met these amazing people and like nobody knows who they are. So, you know, Rockfin's be, I mean, uh, Zero's on Rockfin right now, but there I will eventually be releasing them for free because I think people need to hear them. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I just had twin girls and I had I had to do a deal with them. So because <laughs> I need the money, dude, but I will release it for free. And uh, I, I want people to learn about it. It's, it's an interesting show because it's the first time I've ever done a show where I didn't know. I wasn't a master in what I was discussing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like right. I did, I wasn't well reasoned. I could talk sports forever. Right. And you know, I could talk even when I started. You know, Tim Foy, I could talk conspiracy. Spirituality is just so new to me. 
Well, and it's cool because, I mean, you know, I don't know who is an expert in it necessarily. We're all works in progress. And like you said just a little bit ago about stand-up, it's never the destination. It's the journey. You know what I mean? We all are all making mistakes, hopefully learning from them. And so even as, you know, a, a novice, if you will, in spirituality, I think that resonates with people, I think, more than just like, you know, a preacher or whatever. But that is so interesting that you said, you know, and I see it too doing the show I do with Pat. I mean, people dig the, the scary shit. You know, stuff that's very transformative to your life potentially. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. You know, I mean, they, they dig it and they know it's all part of our lives, but they like to have the shit scared out of them more than they do, you know, focusing on hopefully maybe bettering their quality of their life or whatever. As corny as it sounds. You, um, you know, another thing that has occupied your time, you just mentioned it, Twin Girls. And that was another one of your shows that you do, like cooking with, or no, uh, what was it? Something talk with the babies or something like that. Oh, spiritual talk with... Spiritual talk for ch- for babies. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. So your hands are full, literally and figuratively, my friend. How, what's it like being a dad, man, of twins, no less? I absolutely love it. I, there's no part of it I don't like. I mean, you know, there are a lot of work. Kids are a lot of work. Sometimes we'll have one baby sleeping, so we'll just have the one baby, and me and Martha kind of look at each other and are just like, imagine if this was just all we had to worry about, right. and it would be so much simpler. But then, I, you know, some people down the street from me, they have triplets. Sweet and God. I got to be like, how do you do that, man? And it's just crazy. But I love them very much, and it's a blessing, and I, I take it personal, so I'm trying to do the best. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very, you know, if you don't learn from parenting, you're just not paying attention. So, but has it, uh, obviously, you don't sleep near as much, but... Uh... It, I mean, is it taught you kind of the patience aspect? You know, like you said, things you can't control. I wish these guys would both stop crying, but they don't. Yeah, you know, you they, don't t- yeah. they don't listen. They don't listen to their old man. I try to tell them what to do, and they tell me what to do. It's kind of rough. How old are but they I now? I love it. Oh, I, th- I thought you were bringing one in. Oh, there she is. Your mic's not on. You must have accidentally muted this, your... This is Ghost. There we go. <laughs> baby Ghost. For folks just listening, Sam has brought the young baby Ghost into the frame. Hanging baby out with... One. Oh, I like that switch. Two is in the other room. Wow, they're getting big. So how old are they now? Is this... They are getting big. We try to carry them with the. Uh, I like, dude. I'm like, I gotta work out, man. I'm trying to carry this baby, and my shoulder's like, I can't go much longer. You know. <laughs> That's so a beautiful crazy. thing. I remember those days. I'm about to be a freaking grandpa for God's sake. So it's freaking me out. So it's my younger cousin is a grandpa. I mean, a grandma. Dude, she's like, uh, I think she just turned 40. She's a grandma, dude. I told my daughter, I can't get mad at you. I had her the same age, 23 years old. But, yeah, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a beautiful thing. It's interesting. It's fun, dude. It's just my favorite part is watching them download new operating systems every day. (laughs) And just they they get a little bit more person. They get a little bit more of all that stuff. Hold on. Dude, can you hold one second? No, absolutely. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, he's a busy man. Twins can't even begin to imagine. Daddy's back. Daddy's back. All right. Yeah, dude. I love having kids. It's fun. You know, it's been incredibly hard during this. You know, uh, whatever this is, pandemic, <laughs> pandemic, shutdown, epidemic. Yeah. You know, black plague, whatever we're calling this. It has been very hard. But it's like, in a weird way, it's been a, a super blessing because, you know, I, I've been home more, so I get to be with my kids more. And, you know, the, the first couple of years are super important. So, yeah. you know, just I've been able to be hands on. I'm, you know, and I, I've worked very hard uh, and the blessings are that people appreciate it. And, 
So, you know, it's just like it's fun reading to them. I love reading to them. And it's just like I don't know if I'm doing this right. I'm, I, everyone just says they're super happy, so that's all that really matters to me. Well, in, in the fact that you're present, there's there's hard to quantify what being present does. You know, we've seen all, all the time what daddy not being there does in, in, often, in a lot of cases, but it's cool that, that you're there, like you said, being home, not on the road as much. But looks like you're doing a fantastic job, brother. I don't want to keep you too much longer. What, what do you got going on coming up? I know the, the road games changed everything. You said you might be coming back to St. Louis here in a few weeks in December. What you got going on, brother? I, dude, I am blessed, man. Uh, I've been doing a show with my friend Brian Callen, and that's a, that's a lot of fun. Been really schooling him. It's a nice debate show. <laughs> I don't know how people take it. I think they like it, and they also are weirded out by it, which is fine with me. Um, I enjoy it. Uh, I, I might start uh, yet yeah, another show. I want to do just more ranting i like to rant right and uh so i might do that and then just try and get back into working out man it's been very hard because i gotta work a lot to keep the the plates moving because of mm -hmm. this crazy time we live in and so i'm trying to find that balance between working and working out and being with the children you were so doing you were doing thing, dude i have a couple goals left in my life one is to buy a house another one is to get a black belt and krav maga i was gonna say you've been doing krav maga for a little bit well, I've been trying. I just haven't been able to be there as much as I would like. But, yeah, those are my goals, man. It's just I'm all about visualizing, man. I want people who listen to this to realize that, man. I mean, the places I've been is, like, so dark, dude. And to be where I am right now is, like, such a blessing. And it's like I really do believe the universe warns you, then it shows you. And... You know, blessings are that if you can get the warnings, you can get out of your own way. It's you can you, you'll be able to go soar, man. But if you don't, the universe shows you, and it just kind of sucks because I've seen it happen to a couple people. And uh, I just think we live in a magical place, and that uh, anybody listening to this, wherever your life is, man, you could today. If you start today, your life can be completely different in a year, and I believe that one hundred percent. Well, and again, it's it's going back to you know your friend who was. You know, had an unfortunate situation almost got murdered you know we got to make choices dude like anthony robbins said and i know it sounds corny but it's true man it's in the moment of decision where your destiny is formed and you just something you just said getting out of your own way it kind of goes back to the intro of how i got into this game here there was a time in my brain i never thought i could do shit like this you listen to that voice of like it's gonna suck it's gonna suck and it can never do that and then when i chose literally the switch got flipped and I said it. I said it in the intro. I'll say it here, dude. Bill, they changed my life over the course of like a few weeks, man. Bill Burr, Patrice O'Neill, the Black Phillips Show specifically, and a dude by the name of C.T. Fletcher, man, former world record-breaking uh, uh, power lifter. I wound up having him on this show twice. Actually, interviewed him once on this show and one on Everything Combat with Pat. N never in a million years I got that I'd ever think that the dude who changed my life I'd be talking to at least twice. So again, once you get out of your own way, man, there's. I mean, anything's fucking possible, man. And Visualize like, it, man. Yeah. And nobody does that. Now everyone's like, oh, well, I win the lottery. It's like, that's not how this thing works. I always, Super Mario is what <laughs> I talk about, man. So <laughs> look where Super Mario started, right? Started his job was to climb some stairs, jump some barrels, and try to get Donkey Kong not to give his girl a dick down, right? That was the whole job, right? <laughs> At some point, he gets a promotion, 
and he's in Super Mario's world, right? Yeah. And then along the line, he eats the shrooms, and then all of a sudden, he's in Mario Kart, and dude, it's like a wonderful world of everything he ever dreamed of. Right. Like that is the, that is life, man. It's like you gotta get to that moment, like. As you know, we, we don't want to talk too much about conspiracies, but the world is so much more amazing. The more open minded you are to them, the more you unlock those experiences. Yeah. Yeah, without and a doubt. Negative thoughts are still thoughts to the universe. Well, and again, people are so externally validated what job I have, how cool my car is. People don't know equanimity, whether it's spiritual or whatever, is an internal thing. That's why it always cracks me up when I see people who aren't necessarily happy. Like, ah, if I just lived in Hawaii, if I just lived in this island, Tell you, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you go, there you are. So if you're fucked up, you're going to be fucked up in Sri Lanka or Bangladesh or fucking Polynesia. Wherever you go, there you are. If you got, you know, wherever you go, you're going to take that shit. So it's got to be. Recovery, a... They call that a geographic. Yeah. Pulling geographic. Thinking Maybe, it'll all be better if you move wherever. Yeah, if I just moved here, my life would be better. And it's just like it's never going to be better unless you change you. And that's it. I mean, I mean, like, you know, we're going through a lot of stuff right now, man. And it's just like blaming everybody else for your problems. Yes, there are there are external forces that can influence you. But it's like if you just if you accept your role and where you are and make the better decisions to where you are, you will do much, much better. And it's incredible. And I learned that, man. I used to watch my father, man. You know, Trump is a great example of like I learned something I see Trump is going through right now. And that is if you're going to break the rules, you better shake hands and kiss babies. Because if you're pissing everybody off while you're breaking the rules, when you stumble, everyone's going to push you down. But if you help people, man, everyone will extend an arm out to get you. Not not that Joe Biden's a good person or anything like that. But I'm just I like my father was like that, man. He used to just not get along with anyone in business. And he just was like... a runner and gunner and convinced himself nobody liked him because he was so great. And I saw myself becoming that. And that's mm. why I got recovery, man, was because I was just saw I saw myself committing committing the same mistakes my father made. Mm. And I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. I said I wanted to change myself and I wanna I wanna own everything I do. And that kind of changed my life. And I, I only rely on myself. I mean, I'm kind to others. I try to show love to others. I, you know, when I see a homeless person, you know, a, uh, what's his name, man? I got Matt. I got to find this guy's name that would be perfect for your show. Um, I am. Uh, While you look for that, a huge part of that, and you see it online, man, is these professional victims. Like you said, everyone's against them. Nothing's my fault. And, you know, I, even on Facebook, everyone's just saying shit so they can get like, oh, thoughts and prayers thinking of you. But when you someone's saying it all the all the fucking time, it's just like, dude, embrace the yeah. suck a little bit. Everyone's got some shit going on, but they just stay in that like, you know, we're seeing that socially, too. I don't want to get too deep in all this whatever shit going on, protests, whatever. But a lot of professional victims out there, man. A lot of them. Well, you know what it is, dude. It's just like we have our insecurities and then the system realizes that. And preys on that insecurities and and actually empowers them. Oh yeah, you yeah. are just yeah. because of these people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I am. And it's just like, well, what about everybody that's not like that, man? Yeah. And that's kind of my opinion. So it's like, you know, it's like at some point if you realize, listen, man, I did mushrooms at a concert called K Rock's Almost Acoustic Christmas. And I did shrooms. And I remember having this moment where I just go, oh, 
I am exactly where I need to be. And I never worried about my career after that. And everything, the blessings just started happen, happening mm. after that. I was so high on shrooms, I fell in love with uh, 30 Seconds from Mars. I was like, man, that band rocks. And you re watch them, like, they're pretty damn good. And you're like, I didn't like them before because I was a super player hater. And I get like that, man. I got to catch myself. I have mm. natural instincts to be convinced someone's out to get me uh i'm getting fucked all that shit but i mean like like alluding back to what you were saying earlier especially out there you're in a fucking pool of sharks man some of that some of that paranoia is justified because there are a lot of haters there yeah, are motherfuckers yeah, who don't want to see you shine not you but just in yeah, general they're out there well you know it's like it's what i tell you and it's what i tell a lot of people and i try to spread this word it's like you know build your own pirate ship man and you won't have to worry about any of that shit anymore any of that shit anymore build your own pirate ship i don't rely on anybody if i never perform uh, on the comedy store stage again which would break my heart but if i didn't i would be fine because i had this 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 wonderful pirate ship that i built through all my <laughs> podcasts i can tour all over the country if not the world so it's like i i've positioned myself to not need put myself in the position to not allow anybody to have to f me because I, right. I, I control my own stuff. And that and it's, listen, man, you know, somebody was saying it the other day. It's not possible for everybody to get 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. Why? Why? Why not? You, you can. You can do it. You just got to do it. It just, right. the sooner you start, the sooner you're at 100,000 subscribers. It just takes work. It's like my joke about OnlyFans, right? It's like all these girls think if they just get naked, take a picture of their woo-woo, they're going to be rich. It's like, no, you're still lazy, okay? <laughs> that shit's everywhere, dude. on the internet than anything else. So it's like, oh, you think, you think podcasting? Is, is oversaturated? Try showing woo-woos on the internet, okay? I mean, and I say that because my kids are in the other room. No, I, but try yeah. showing that, dude. It's a, you got to go hard in the paint whatever you do. Well, and it, you, do. It, you know, I, my daughter, whatever, PewDiePie, the guy's like 10 trillion subscribers. He's been around forever, but everybody, everybody's looking for that shortcut to some degree. They just want to go from zero to 60 in, in a split second. No one really wants to put the work in. They just want all the all the glory, if you will, and all the accoutrement which comes with success, but not having the really put. Work is the fun part. Well, it's if the journey, man. Again, fun. it's the fucking journey. Like, God, my first interview for this show was with Pat Militant. Gone on to fucking host a global show with him. I talked to so many different people. I George Foreman for fuck's sake. I mean, it's just insane the people I've been able to talk to. But never never would have happened had I not a decided or believed in myself to do it, but have to put in that fucking work to make that shit happen consistently. Not so consistently Well, you know anymore, man? But... Uh, like, my father gave me two things. Well, he gave me three things. One of them I don't rely on anymore. But one is hard work. The other one is sense of humor. And three is paranoia. And uh, <laughs> I don't really live in the paranoid world, you know? I just, to my best of my ability, it's in my wiring. But I, I, I try to, like, okay, you're overthinking this. But, man, hard work. And, I, you know, I said, I'm just going to do stuff that I love. Yeah. Like if you do stuff you love, you're not working. Like people go, how 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 can you do so many podcasts? Well, I do three tinfoil hats a week, mostly because when I started doing that, this pandemic hit, and people like me had nothing to watch. So I wanted <laughs> to give people something to watch. I was Same. watching. You know, I love sports, so I turned on sports, and everything was BLM 
and COVID. And I, th that's a different discussion what those issues are. But, you know, it's like I know there's people like, I just want to watch a basketball game. I just want to hear something. So I made a decision to do a lot of episodes, and then I made a decision to not talk COVID. Right. Because I know yeah. people are getting overhearing that. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, we're not going to talk about that. So now that the election's over, so somewhat, I might pull back to two episodes a week, you know? I yeah. mean, maybe we'll see. But it's like, so each each one of these episodes isn't work. It's literally like I get to, every episode is an audio book that I get to ask questions to. Yeah. So I love it. And that I turn, I turn it into learning and not into work. It absolutely has been. I, I don't know, on the farm, we got 100. I mean, it's just that's another one. Amazing people like yourself. We've been able to talk to Jared Griffin, Rosa Quarry. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. But you are a big sports fan. And I have to ask you, you know, I, I was, I, I don't know, I haven't been as huge a sports fan. Those kind of sports are more MMA nowadays. But I used to love the Lake Show back in the day. So they just won another championship. But yet it was supposedly the lowest rated finals ever. What are your thoughts on them winning and the NBA at large and sports in general taking a hit? You don't have to get into the social stuff necessarily. But, you know, the fact. Well, it's the social stuff that's the yeah, reason yeah. ratings are so low. Right, right. And, you know, it's just like, listen, man, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the 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 athletes got political, but when it came to the game, they came to play. Yeah. The problem with this now is it's bled in, so you can't even watch the game without a you know political banter going on. And it's fine until you're on the end of that rant, being told that you're a horrible person and society's yeah. bad. Well, and it, we've talked life. about this. People people go see that stuff to get away from it. But like you know, you're Stephen A. Smith and and you know, Shannon Sharp, I think it is, and Skip. I mean, it's it's all very very political, and that's not what people go to watch sports for. You know what I mean? And that yeah, I think that is like, you know, it's just like you know, I mean, as LeBron James is telling us all this stuff, he just buys a three hundred thirty six million dollar mansion, right? And you're like, okay. <laughs> I mean, like, what is this, man? And it's just like, and the problem is also this. It's like the the rigging is, the the internet has allowed there to be a permanent record that anyone can see, right? So when Patrick Ewing goes to the Knicks and everyone's talking about this frozen, this frozen envelope to get Patrick Ewing to the Knicks, that, that was a big issue until it, it faded away. But now, because of the Internet, everything, everybody's sharing everything. So when LeBron James can't even make it to the playoff his first season in the West, and all he's talking about is Anthony Davis, and somehow the New Orleans Pelicans jump all these other teams to get the first pick for a transcendental player like Zion Williams which allows the Pelicans to save face with their base and trade away to the one team that's been begging for them, the L.A. Lakers. People are over that. It's just you can't keep – baseball learns this too. If all you do is play to the big markets, you're going to lose the entire middle of the country. Mm. And, and, dude, it's like that's why the NFL is the best because you got, like, all these tiny markets competing with these giant markets. And right. it's style of play. Like, one of the biggest ratings ever was Miami versus OKC because it was style of play. Those teams are excited to watch. Well, yeah, you got, like, in the NFL, Kansas City, which isn't the hugest market in the world, you know, 
won the Super Bowl. Killing it, style of play. The Golden State Warriors in San Francisco, they used to be a dumpster fire, style of play. But the suits, and this is what's going on. This is the pro- this is, and I told, I said this, Adam Silver, in an era of garbage commissioners, Adam Silver is the worst of all of them. And that's with Manford, who is awful. I mean, there isn't one good commissioner right now. I don't know what's going on with MLS. I don't follow it enough to know if people like him. NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball, and NBA are all awful commissioners. Mm. They make awful, awful decisions that they don't do. Dude, you can't have have racial strife going on in the country and then back China what about Hong Kong. Yeah. It's unbelievable to me. No. It's unbelievable. I can't believe Daryl Mora got a new job. And I thought he was going to be blackballed from the NBA because he cost them so much money with that one tweet. And then LeBron James coming out and saying that stuff, it just hmm. it just turned everybody off. Yeah, it's definitely different, literally and figuratively. It's a different game, man. And I, I wish they would just take that stuff out of it because, again, that's that's people's release, man. They, they're stressed enough. They don't want to have the things they used to go to for refuge be part of their fucking stressor. So I was asking somebody, is there in any way, I mean, I know Kobe has nothing to do with it necessarily, but is there in any way an asterisk by the Lakers championship this year? Cause the season was crazy and just everything involved with it. Here's my opinion, brother. I would be a hypocrite if I said it was an asterisk because I'm a Clipper fan. And mm. I was talking about, I honestly believe in my heart of hearts, this was the hardest championship to win ever and i'll tell you why because even though you had those great battles of the 80s those guys got home court advantage and those rims showed home cooking everybody was playing on the same rims so you had teams like the phoenix Mm. suns who ended up not making the nba playoffs but they went eight and oh or ten and oh in it that everybody's playing on the same playing field you yeah. didn't have the home crowd yelling at the young players, getting in their heads. It was even Steven. And that's why somebody like the Denver Nuggets could take out, you know, the, the Clippers. And we don't have to talk about Doc Rivers. So in my hmm. humble opinion, these are incredibly hard. I don't believe in asterisks. I don't. I, I just understand. don't believe in that. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I don't think I, I, the, if there's an asterisk, by the Lakers, it's because Golden State wasn't there. That's more of it. And they they weren't a figure. Next year, dude, I'm telling you this. The NBA will be the most competitive you've ever seen in decades. And nobody's going to watch it. <laughs> nobody's going to watch it, man. Nobody's going to watch it. Because they just got too political and people are over that shit. Yeah. And I wouldn't doubt even though he's old, you could see LeBron James out of the NBA very quickly. He is dude the two lowest rated NBA finals in the last 20 years. I think one of them it was last one and the one when when uh Cleveland versus San Antonio that was a super low-rated one. So it's like LeBron James is great, but he's also like he oversteps his boundaries a lot. And I think he overestimates his value. And he doesn't even allow people to enjoy him because he's an awesome player. Is he the number two player of all time? Not even close. Mm-hmm. Jabbar, Magic Johnson. Tim Duncan gets disrespected by yeah. everybody. Tim yeah. Duncan's 
everything LeBron James did in a smaller market, but one more. Only lost one time in the NBA Finals, and that's because Greg Popovich decided to sit Tim Duncan on the last possession where Chris Bosh gets a rebound and passes out to Ray Allen. Ray Allen hits the, the greatest shot of all time in the NBA. If not, if, 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 does, does Chris Bosh get that clean grab if Tim Buck Duncan's there? I don't think so, but you'll never know. I wonder. We've talked about this, too. But, you know, dude, I've, I don't know say say personally he's the GOAT, but he's probably got more rings from so many teams as Robert Ory. I mean, that guy's got... Dude, Robert Ory is a Hall of Famer, in my humble opinion, and I don't know why he's not there. If we're going to talk Camillo Anthony's a Hall of Famer, like, mm. how many teams did he go that just destroyed? This guy, eight championships doesn't happen by accident. Is that what it is, eight? Eight. Damn. He won with two of Houston, three... He was on San Antonio, too, wasn't he? Or was that Houston? I'm yeah, thinking. I think he won... And then some, three, with, the, some with Lake I, Show. Three. I just don't know the numbers. That's how all right. Close. I think he won eight. I know he's bling the fuck out. Yeah, that's... Uh, but yeah, the only I, one more is uh, Bill Russell. Yeah, Jabbar. People forget how fucking dope Jabbar was too, man. Jabbar, dude. Jabbar, if, if you took out what, culturally what Michael Jordan did, Jabbar is the greatest player to ever play the game because he did everything Jordan did, but he also did more in, in college basketball. He won four championships in college basketball. Damn. The game done changed, son. He's the best player ever because, but he just wasn't liked by the media because he didn't want to answer questions. But it's 1A, 1B. Then it's Magic Johnson. Then I have Tim Duncan. Then I have Shaq. Then we can have a discussion between LeBron and Larry Bird. (laughs) <laughs> but then Bill Russell's in there too. Yeah, it's 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 one of those conversations. I mean, I guess statistically you could prove it out, but everyone's got this kind of subjective analysis. You know, well, what the I mean? thing about Larry Bird is everybody thinks LeBron would destroy him with his uh, his athleticism. I go go watch Bird versus Dominique Wilkins and see how that goes. Yeah, it, it's crazy. That's dude. another one, Dominique. I mean, shit. He got left off the fifty greatest players of all time. It's <laughs> unbelievable. That's unjust. You know, I wish, dude, if I was, I was thinking about this today. If I could be any NBA player, I would want to be Sean Kemp with a three-point shot. That's another one. Dude, that's my favorite game of, like, my favorite, like, my favorite players versus who's the best are two different things. But Sean Kemp was so amazing. He's all decade, and he's never going to make a Hall of Fame. How crazy is that? You're an all decade player, and you're not going to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I remember the Sonics had a little quick run there. Him and Gary Payton, they had a little, not a run run, but they were they were on that level for a hot minute. Does yeah, they... and the reason they went bad is because they, they literally paid a white guy way more than they wanted, to, that they paid Sean Kemp, and he didn't want it, and he totally had a right. He was totally right in what he did, man. But there, from there on, he just was like eating too much and partying too I much. I was going to say, dude, I saw whatever. It was a few years after the, he got out of the league. I'm like, damn, bro, you eating all the food. But, Never you know, pulls out. Dude just did not pull. Out. It was so funny because everybody thought Blake Griffin was going to end up being the next Sean Kemp, and the truth is, it was Dwight Howard. Wow. Dwight I mean, Dwight Howard got busted with a trans, and I go, dude, if you've had ten kids by eight women, you want to bang something that doesn't have a <laughs> can't give you another child support payment, right? <laughs> That's fucking hilarious, dude. Yeah. 
I didn't even think about the them all playing on the same basically court because that bubble or whatever. I, I didn't even think about that shit. I didn't even watch any of it, but I didn't even think about that aspect Next of it. Next year is going to be insane, dude. It's going to be Golden State will be back. Brooklyn will be good. We'll see. That's a that's an experiment that might explode in everybody's face. Like Kyrie Irving is like the hottest porn star ever. Like he's like looks hot, got great game, but just shish kebab for brains, right? Just chaos. Mm. And that's that. That's now it's so funny when you go in you know, the NBA and what is like you, you get out of um, when you get off the beaten path, the NBA beats you down. So like Kyrie Irving goes flat earth and that's a different discussion. Dude, he got hammered oh, by yeah. everybody. When the, when that kid uh, Jonathan Isaac for Orlando wouldn't wouldn't kneel during the national anthem because he's Christian, got hammered by it, dude. Got to remember that's a corporate gig, and dude, you know we can get in boule stuff on another episode, but man, that <laughs> stuff is for real, dude, and it's crazy. Boule We're stuff, living in yeah. crazy times, but I think it's gonna be great, dude. We I are. Do think darkness coming but i think after that will be light well it is always darkest before the dawn sammy i appreciate you man got shout out anywhere we can track you down very much i think you're great and i think you have uh, an ability to talk uh i'm gonna put you under the category of smooth black my friend (laughs) i'm not (laughs) black pill smooth black yeah you're no you're not black pill cool guy you're smooth black thank you uh, you're a good guy i love you i think you are um i think that you know you have the skills to dominate on the internet, and it's going to be fun to watch all the great stuff you're going to be doing. I appreciate that, man. That's all love. But where can we find you? Website? You're on Rockfin. So new website's going to be up soon. Uh, it's going to have all my brands under one website. But you just go to, uh, right now it's samtriplee.com, but I think it's going to be a bunch of, uh, I mean, I, got, I go, just go to uh, Twitter's taking me down. Dude, I got blocked out of SoundCloud. I mean, imagine getting banned from SoundCloud. Wow. That's like the fat chick at the end of the night going, no, I'm not interested, right? I mean, SoundCloud. Well, just punch in the name Sam Tripley. He is everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. Find me everywhere. Absolutely. Sam, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for doing 100. 100. Brought in 100 with style with my homeboy Sam Tripley, ladies and gentlemen. Peace and so much love. Take care of yourselves. Love y'all.